Well, welcome to the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast. Today, we've got something for you that I think is very special. You know, in our travels around the country, we get to go visit friends that we haven't seen in a while. Our friends, Ken and Amy, invited us to come see them and um, spend some time with them here in Peoria. And while we were here, we set up a time to go out to the Peoria Dream Center and find out more about it. Ken has talked about the Dream Center for years, as long as I've known him. And it was really on my heart to get over there, find out more about it, and share their story. And this is interesting because normally we interview people who have a passion um, for for what they're doing. But you'll hear in this interview that the Dream Center Peoria is much more than one person. And so this episode really focuses on what an organization led by good leaders can do to impact a community. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We're going to sit down with Ken and with Brian Uhlenhop from the Dream Center and learn more about it. My friends, today is the day. The moment is now. The change begins. Why? Because you are here on the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast where we encourage you to live your passion. You get one chance, one shot at this life. And you can either be the person that says, I wish I had, or you can be the person that says, I am so glad I did. So join us as we dive in, we figure it out, we walk this walk together so that we can live our passion. Well, welcome to the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast. I am your host, Hal Caleb, and today we're here talking with Brian Uhlenhop. Yep. And, and Brian, you are with the Dream Center Peoria. Tell us, um, tell our listeners, tell us uh, about yourself. What brought you to the Dream Center? What's your background? Where are you from? Like, what's what's the deal with you? Yeah, I mean, so the, the Dream Center is all about impacting poverty. Uh, four years ago, I had nothing to do with poverty. I was about as far away as, as probably the average person was. Uh, and just over the last three years, God really uh, started to move on my heart. Um, had some really uh, big experiences that just got me closer and closer to it. Uh, and the closer I got to poverty, um, uh, number one, the more I was just driven to, to make an impact by it and or on it. And, and two, the closer I got, um, the more I saw that how encouraging, how, how encouraged I was that man as big as this problem looked from a distance, when I got close to it, it just became really clear and simple on, on what the answer was and where I could fit in. So a year and a half ago, I joined the team. Um, my role is development director. It's fundraising. That's what I've done for 10 years before this. Um, and it's just been an awesome, awesome experience to kind of be on the front lines of what God is doing uh, uh, for folks here in Peoria. Nice. And, and we, you know, we talk about you being at the Dream Center and, um, I've heard a little bit about the Dream Center because my friend Ken has told me uh, numerous times about the Dream Center. What is the Dream Center? Why is it here and what does it do? Yeah, um, the Dream Center's mission is impacting families in poverty, starting with kids and youth. Um, so the, the common thread through everything we do is kids. We've just seen from day one that kids are the ones that are impacted most by poverty. Uh, kids had the least to do with the circumstances, but man, there is a ton of hope. If we just surround kids 
if we be something consistent to them, if we be family to them, that uh, we don't have to just put a band-aid on this situation. We can permanently change the direction of their lives. So under that umbrella of, of kids, we kind of have three main activities that all of our work falls under. One is community de development, going out in the community, giving things out, doing programs. Uh, two, it's youth development. It's a 70-kid after-school program, uh, really family-based, job skills-based. And then three, it's basic uh, human needs. So at any given night, we've got 100 people that are living in the shelter that would otherwise be homeless. The average age up there is nine years old. So that's why it falls under this umbrella of kids. Uh, but it's all those things working together uh, that we see as very effective, that we're not just giving out items, but we're providing a safe place for kids after school, we're providing positive mentors, we're providing job skills, all at the same time where we're housing you and providing a safe place to you know, launch the day into. So all that working together is shown to be really effective at permanently breaking the chains of poverty in the city. Nice. So we've taken a tour of the building. You took us through quite a few floors and some different areas. Um, one of the things I was intrigued by as I was doing my research on Dream Center Pure, I mean, I had heard a lot from Ken, but I, I really didn't know a lot of the details. Um, so as I was reading, uh, you have the shelter, the village, and the, hop or the hope store. Sorry, the, the shelter, the village, and the hope store. Um, but then it looked like you have some programs throughout the year. I, I saw Backpack Peoria, Mission Peoria, Serve the City, Smile, Eat, Receive, um, Promise of Hope, Project 309, yeah. City Brew, Keep which going. coffee is my favorite, so I was really excited when I read about Stevie, and then being in the room here, uh, Freedom Arts, uh, Veggie City, you have a, a mechanics, uh, bicycles to motorbikes program, um, you have some athletics, summer camp, ACE teams, which two of my friends, Josh and Caitlin, have both, you know, or Caitlin's going through, Josh has been through. I mean, that's, that's a lot of programs under one umbrella it takes a lot of people. How do you how do you guys pull it off? How do you do that? I mean, everything that that happens here is a mix of of a small number of staff and a large number of volunteers. I mean, Ken and Josh uh, are examples of that. Um, we have literally expanded as the dollars and the volunteers come alongside us, um, and it, it all comes from kind of a, a simple philosophy that I think they developed really early on in visiting the Dream Center in Los Angeles, this idea of, of finding a need and filling it, that, hey, if you want to, if you have a heart for people, if you want to serve the poor and the broken, and you think you're going to develop some solution from a distance and then step in and, and, and implement it, that's totally the wrong approach, that the right approach is just get close to people, and as you get close to people for a period of time, needs will emerge. As needs emerge, just start meeting them. And so that's how the Dream Center started. We didn't have a big plan. We just had a heart. And as needs started to become apparent, like the Backpack Peoria, like uh, young women who could go to prom if they had a prom dress, uh, like um, uh, teaching kids job skills and the fact that we were right next to a coffee shop that was one of the best in town, you know, as things came up, we just started stepping into them. And, and I think the common thread between all those programs is, is relationships. That's what makes them powerful is all the skills or all the little details of all those programs aren't so important, but in every one of those, we're taking kids and families in poverty and we're connecting them with strong mentors who are just pouring into their lives and loving them. And that's what makes it all kind of work together. 
Now, do you monitor like um, volunteer hours? Do you have an idea of how many volunteer hours are done a year? Uh, ask us in about uh, six months, and okay. I think we'll have a better a better picture. Where uh, we've got a volunteer development director for the first time who's kind of tracking all that. But I mean, every month right now is is six to ten thousand hours. Um, and we're still finding things all the time that we're not tracking, right? People that are doing things that we you don't, yeah. weren't, weren't tracking. So it's a lot. That is amazing. I know that uh, it's one of the most important things from a getting volunteers to understand how important their time is. You know, when uh, the nonprofit I used to work for, we would have groups of 20 people come in for two hours. And, and a lot of what I would hear from them at the start of that two hours is, man, I, I'm really sorry I can't be here to give you more time. I wish I could be here to give you more time. And I'd look at them and go, there's 20 of you giving two hours each. That's one person working for a full week. Like what you can accomplish in the next two hours would would take a one full-time person a whole week to get great. done. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's good for people to visualize that. And I think it's great for the community around you to see the impact that you know comes from people giving their time. I think that's an amazing thing. So let's talk about the three main, like the three staples, the shelter, the village, and the hope store. Now you took me through the hope store and there's a great significance to the value in that. But before we get to that, let's talk about the shelter in the village so we understand why the hope store is such an impactful point. What exactly is the shelter and how does it operate? Um, so as I said, we have a hundred people that are living here every night that would normally be homeless and in two kinds of housing that we have for those hundred. One is the 24 seven emergency shelter and two are uh, 21 transitional apartments. So the, the emergency shelter is the only place in town that women, children, and parenting fathers can, can come. Uh, no questions asked. There's no waiting list. There's no process. It doesn't take a week to get in. We're not going to turn anybody away because we're, we're full. This is an emergency shelter. Um, and we just feel that's our role, that we want to be the one place people can come. Um, and uh, so that's the emergency shelter, about 80 people a night that are they're coming there. And the average age, I don't know what you think of when you picture homelessness, but nine years old is not what I pictured. The fact is that's that's what it is, and, and I would say that statistic is becoming stronger and stronger throughout the country. You know, what we're seeing on the West Coast and the East Coast is this emergence of the working poor, uh, and that's, you know, exploding. Uh, and so we expect to see more of that here, that the face of homelessness isn't that, you know, veteran male uh, on the corner. That is a face, but it's not the face. There, It, it is moms who are working two jobs, who have three kids, who are working as hard as you and I and are making as good of decisions as they can. But man, there are just some forces that are pulling them down. And so we've got to help release them from those, right? And, and get back to a place of stability. Uh, so that's our emergency shelter. But then the second kind of housing is apartments. And, and this is where we're trying to get people there. We call them transitional apartments or permanent supportive housing. But basically it means a family can come in from homelessness or come in from that shelter and move into their own apartment. Um, and during that time, a caseworker is working with them on you name it, job placement, life skills, parenting, time management, budgeting, addiction. And on average, they are moving out within a year and getting their own permanent housing and never returning to homelessness. 91% are doing that. So, you know, if you're looking at homelessness from a distance and saying, man, there's no solution, the hurdles are too big, uh, the, the chains are too thick, we can't do anything, 
91% success rate if we can just consistently surround people. So I, there was a statistic on your website that said um, in the last four years, 122,276 nights of sleep yeah. given to 1,324 individuals, of which 390 were children at that, at that shelter. Yep, and I think that was maybe 2016-ish. Okay. Uh, our emergency shelter population has doubled in the last year. Wow. So that statistic you just read... Uh, effectively doubles. Um, and it's it's interesting because homelessness in Peoria has not grown. It's been it's flat. So it just means that more people are coming here. We, multiple, multitude of reasons. Number one, I think the, the younger person in homelessness is increasing. So more than are coming here. But, but two is just that we try to approach things with dignity, compassion, and purpose. So I think more people are coming here as a result of that. Every everything we do, we try to just go over the top and love on people, and um, I think that word is starting to get out. And then, so that's the shelter. Now the village is is that the that's those apartments, the apartments, twenty one okay. apartments. Yep, that's called the village. And then that leads us to what I was, you know, what I wanted to talk about too is the Hope Store, which is the store that we walked in. There's two segments on that, uh, but that that is an amazing place for people who, who are down, who are depressed from the situations that they are in in life and, and, and the position they're in, where they can get a bit of a boost. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, it, Hope Store, we're clothing 900 people a month. It's unique from some, you know, more of a thrift shop in that it's uh, 100% donation-based. It's, uh, there's no cost. Um, we're open twice a month. Um, and then throughout the month, you know, one-on-one we're serving folks who are have just become homeless. The police are bringing them here, uh, and they have nothing. They're going to come to the Hope Store and and, and get what they need. Um, but it's it's. I think it's a it's a place where I've learned a lot about uh, how how this is so much not a resource issue that this is a mindset issue. And it's funny that you'd find that at a place where you're giving things out. But um, uh, you can look at that and you can say, well, man, that's just creating dependency. And you can even look at, if you really understand poverty and, and, and clothing, you'll find that a lot of people throw away their clothes um, mm-hmm. every week. They don't, they don't wash them. It's easier to throw them away and get more free clothing. So you could argue that this is a vicious cycle. But what we see every day is that oh, it's not about the clothes. What the power here is that when I can just take the time to acknowledge somebody, get to know them, ask them how they're doing, interact with their kids, pray with them, uh, speak into their life, encourage them, tell them that, man, you look good today and, and awesome to hear what, what happened to you last week. You know, those are the, that's the conversation that's powerful. That's what's getting people to think differently about themselves. So yeah, we're giving out clothes, but it's, it's the relationship and the dignity that really are having the lasting value, I guess I would say. It, it, it gets me thinking about, you know, when you look in a mirror, you know, I think about myself, I have four kids at home, my wife, you know, and each one of us at some point in the morning looks in the mirror to make sure we look good, we look okay, we go outside. Um, that mirror means a lot to us. Uh, it's how we realize how we're presenting ourselves, how our face is presented, how our body is presented to the world in which we're about to enter for the day. And I would imagine um, going into that world, not feeling good about what you're wearing or, or how you might look, 
um, doesn't help a lot. And so being able to change that and get help in changing that uh, has got to be, I mean, I, I know for myself, if I go three or four months, we've been traveling for 10 months now. You feel if I go three or four months without, you know, getting a haircut. I really feel like, man, I look terrible. And I, I was thinking that just the other day we were recording something and I looked at the video and I was like, man, I really ought to shave. I still haven't. <laughs> but I, I kind of look at it and go, man, I really don't look that great right well, now. Well, and then the interesting thing would be to start kind of checking yourself on how do you do anything differently then? Do you act differently? Do you do you live differently? Do you mm-hmm. start dressing differently now that you don't feel you know good? Uh, it, it happens pretty quick. We do a, um, uh, it's called Rethink Poverty. And the idea is that, hey, we want to simulate what it's like to live one month in poverty because we've found that the more people understand what's going on, the more they want to get involved. They see how they can be effective. So we do a lot of education to the public. And so it's a simulation. 80 people come through, folks like you and I, business leaders, civic leaders, and we put them into family groups. And that family group is given a scenario of, you know, a working mom, two kids, homeless, whatever, and then they have to live out the scenario for an hour going to grocery stores and and pawn shops and employer and and try to improve their situation. And what you hear, you know, we got Caterpillar here, some great working families. These guys come in with kind of type A personalities thinking, hey, I'm going to I'm going to conquer poverty, right? Whatever whatever it is, I am going to win at this simulation. And within the first 15 minutes, which simulates the first week, you can see and you can talk to them and they say, wow, I, I, I did everything I knew how to do and it did not improve. And after three weeks of that, an hour long, they're hopeless. And they, and they can see, wow, I can see how that sets in, that I am doing all the right things and yet I am in a, the same place or worse. And so that's that whole mindset. Hopelessness is a mindset, right? That's what we got to break so that once we break that for a moment, now I get some clarity on what I do next. But, man, hope, hopelessness is a, that's a big force. But the encouraging side is that, okay, that's all I'm up against. I'm just up against a bad mindset. I think it's more discouraging when it's a resource problem because you say, right. well, I don't have enough money to solve yeah, it. Do I, yeah. I don't have enough food or uh, you know, I don't have enough time. But, man, this is hope. This is my words can break chains of poverty. My, my, my just time with somebody is enough to break chains of poverty. To me, it's it's really encouraging that okay now, I know what to do. Right. Wow. That, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't consider. I mean, I think that's why I think it's good that you do that program because I think it gives people an opportunity to see what reality is. Because I think it is easy for us to look at the the person on the corner and just go oh, seriously, just go get a job. Like, why would I give you money? I'm I'm in my car. You know, you're just you're just standing out here waiting. Yep. Like, but there is there's a there's a mindset that just really paralyzes. Yep. We talked about, as we went on our tour, you were showing me some spaces that are under construction right now. Mm-hmm. You've got um, what was a racquetball court prior, which I love. Right? The only sport I've ever broken a bone in <laughs> was racquetball. I broke my big toe playing racquetball. Um, you got that, and that's being rehabbed into tell me job about skills studio, skilled trade studio. Okay, and you were talking. There was a couple elements that you were you were talking about. So tell me about that that one studio. There's a, a foundry. Yeah, and what else? Yeah, so it, this is a cool building, right? We're an yeah. old YMCA building, so it's huge. Uh, yeah, uh, lots of nooks and crannies, and um, and and there's still spaces we've never used, which is neat for us. And that when that next need emerges, we got room to step into it. But 
we've seen uh, in the last two years how kids just come alive when we can teach them hands-on job skills. Doesn't mean they have to go into that, but, but working on that really engages the kids. So we just launched a full-blown after-school program for the skilled trades. We've got 3D printing, uh, casting and foundry. So the kids design, they print it out, they make changes, they cast it into metal, which is, that's Peoria's economy, right, is, is making uh, die cuts and such. Uh, then we have a motorcycle repair and auto repair, as well as a motorcycle parts resale business where they're just stripping the bikes down and selling parts online. Uh, we have a t-shirt printing business. Uh, we have organic farming. Uh, we have coffee, as you said, uh, where they're roasting it, packaging it, marketing it, selling it, serving it, uh, and then electronics and uh, robotics. I think I've caught it all. Yep. Oh, and... Uh, uh, a financial literacy class, uh, as well as now kind of a stock market simulation. Now, these programs, how how intricate are they to, to seeing the youth that are impacted by this mission? How intricate are these programs to seeing them succeed? You, you look at just in our 16 years, every success story for a kid, there's been a job associated with it. A, a, a job work is critical to getting out of poverty. People have to have purpose. Right, we get our identity out of it. Um, it's huge. So, most kids who are in poverty, especially generational poverty, just lack some real basic worldviews on work that you and I take for granted. Just the idea, you know, of growing up and not seeing a parent ever have a full-time job or a career but seeing a parent who just gets, you know, their food and such from food stamps and social security, those are, those are worldviews that, that shapes, that shapes how you, how you live. So we're, we're trying to introduce from day one, a worldview that, Hey, you can work. Uh, you are good at something that the world would pay you for. This is fun. Um, it, that's really, really important. I, I find that, um, I find that interesting because it was we as we walked running toward the the building, seeing the mechanic shop and stuff, and understanding my childhood growing up, I was taught a lot of that. Yeah. Because I had a father at home, who was able to lead me in in knowing somebody. I mean, he he was an engineer and he was self employed, and so being able to be around him while he worked at his machine shop, and and I learned that stuff growing up, and I think as a as a kid getting that from someone. And knowing that that person cares about you, the mentors here, it, it really ingrains in you a different work ethic. Like I can, I can understand why some people don't have that. It's not that they lack the value of that ethic. It's not that they lack the want for that work ethic. It's literally that they lack the understanding of it. Awareness, yeah. yeah. Um, there's we we got some great testimony videos on our website. DreamCenterPeoria.org, and if you go to the youth uh, section, there's a video on um, Isaiah, uh, who kind of inspired the whole skilled trades program. And at the end, the volunteer who heads that up says the thing he likes most is that this is a chance for him to teach kids the things that his dad taught him. Hmm. Just like you said, that's the that's the value, as, as you said, the relationship. Um, hands down. And, and then on a volunteer side, you know, the thing we're constantly trying to tell people is, man, you have got a lot more to offer here than you realize. These are middle school kids, so it's not complicated stuff we're teaching. Right. Uh, um, 
but you got to start then. Um, you got to start then in, in the schools and all the studies show it right now that, you know, even for not kids in poverty, but just regular kids, um, and that's not the right word, but for, for any kid, uh, in middle school, they don't decide what career they're going to do, but what happens at that age is that kids eliminate what they're not going to do based on what I'm not good at or just what I'm not, I've never been exposed to. So after middle school, your window tightens. Yeah. And so we got to get to them before then, before they eliminate that. And that's what, that's what we're trying to do here. That's kind of the space we fit in. My daughter showed me a video the other day of a, a gentleman speaking about uh, how we treat our dreams as kids versus as adults. And as kids, we really felt like we could go and do anything. Mm -hmm. And as time goes on in our life, we either hear no verbally from people or from our circumstances. And it does. It eliminates a lot of what we think we can't. It, know, hit, it hit us really hard when do. there's a local... Uh, uh, program here with with our school district um, and it's like a, a Votech building and a high school program and we've met with the director and uh, they have a carpentry program and he said that yeah this is really successful and we, we asked him you know, how, how can we help you at middle school what do we do and he said his challenge in his carpentry program awesome program highly successful if a kid gets in there they're on a fast track to great opportunities, right? Uh, but they come in, they find out that they're good at carpentry, they like it, they start to get excited, and then they find out that they can't add six inches plus one foot. Basic, basic math. Hmm. And they deflate. At that age, he's too, uh, uh, I don't know, too much pride to go back and learn basic, basic math. So, you know, equipping kids early on what are the skills you got to learn at middle school and elementary so that when these great opportunities, which are out there, come your way, you're in a position to go after them. I think that's, that's awesome. I, I think tackling problems before, you know, it, it, when you can reverse engineer a problem that's there and then start attacking it from before it becomes a problem in that sense, I think that's amazing. And I think it's great that there's a heart for that. I mean, I think from, from the earliest time of hearing about Dream Center here in Peoria uh, from Ken when, when he would come up here with a group of kids for Mission Peoria every year. And I, the first year, you know, being part of the nonprofit I was part of and, and just thinking, yeah, well, we've got a mission here. Why on earth are you taking in a group of kids all the way across the country? That doesn't make sense to me. And the first year that I saw those kids come back, I went, wow, what a difference. They could have done that same project somewhere in Arizona, but the mission of that product, the, 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 the passion, the love, the drive, the organization behind that project was here. And I, it, now it totally makes sense for all those years why he was bringing kids up here, why he and his wife were doing that. Ken, you want to talk about that? You want to tell us about? Because I want to talk about some of these programs. So Mission yeah. Peoria, let's start with that. And, uh, you got to get you closer. Know, bringing the kids here, they're excited about it all year. I mean, we would go back after Mission Peoria and they would start raising money for the next year right away. Right. You know, they didn't want to wait because they wanted to make sure they had the money. Because there was years we wanted to come and at the last minute we couldn't bring everybody because we didn't have the money. So uh, they decided and they set up the program. They did car washes and everything and the kids raised the money. You know, I didn't have to raise it anymore. They took care of it. I remember a lot of that. So Mission Peoria... Who wants to talk about what Mission Peoria is? You want to talk about it? You want to talk about it? So whoever it is has to get close to the mic. So, all right. It's an awesome. There's a ton of awesome stories at Dream Center, but 
it started because here we just started this Dream Center, right? And, and Peoria, and we're church-based, uh, founded by a church, church partners. And just literally, I think, looking up at the sky and seeing, man, there's planes, there's, there's youth mission groups going all over the country, all over the world, doing service. And here, we're seeing there's a ton of need right here. Could we build something where people fly into Peoria? And, and serve in this backyard, or at least kids stay here. And so that's, that's what birthed Mission Peoria. And it, one week, um, uh, high school, middle school students, uh, they're coming from around the country. Most of them are right here, but you know, thanks to Ken and others, we got them from Arizona and California and Michigan and Kansas City and, and Minnesota. And uh, uh, half the boys live here at the Dream Center, the girls live at Riverside, and we bust them to the local gym to take showers. And uh, in the morning, they do service projects, 15 sites throughout town, right in the city, right at some of our partner sites. And then the afternoon, they basically put on a mini vacation Bible school for the kids. So you've got, you know, 300 jacked up high school students on fire for God who are, you know, just loving on these kids. And then every night they come back together and worship and, and do devotion and, and get ready for the next day. Um, and the cool thing then is that it's this group, again, these jacked up high school students, that deliver Backpack Peoria on Saturday, which is like the premier event of Dream Center, kind of our capstone program. And they're the ones that are giving out these backpacks to kids that they've been working with all week. So it's just a pretty cool. Now, how many, so you brought up Backpack Peoria, which is the next Peoria. one. Yep. How many backpacks are you guys handing out at the start of a school year? 2,500 a year. It's been over 40,000 since we started. It's the very first program that Dream Center started with. It's the first need that became really clear to us. Uh, and a great example of, man, you don't have to have a plan. If anybody, I don't know who's listening to this podcast right now, but if there's anything in you that is saying, you know, man, I want to do something, don't wait until you got an idea. Just step into, just find a person and start spending time because that's how Backpack started is first year we gave out 200 backpacks because people needed them. And then as we did it a couple more years, we found out that people also need medical exams. So we started doing those and dental and vision and then the, the largest school district in the area came to us and said, will you be our event? And now we got 2,500 a year. So, And how, how quick did you give out those first 200 backpacks? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. I heard it was actually faster. I've been saying 20, but I heard it's five. Yeah. You were, were you there? I was there. Ken was there. Ken was there for all of it. I heard it's more like 10 minutes or something yeah. like that. So, and today, and you know, we... had to turn a lot of people away. I mean, we just didn't have any more backpacks. Yeah, that's where we saw the need was and bigger. the plan was to go for five hours. That the, was the plan. The plan was to, to give away 200 backpacks over five hours. Yes. Because you didn't know. Nobody knew the actual need. They just knew until, there was a need. Until we did it. Until you knew the need. Okay. Wow. You know, and the thing about Mission Peoria, too, I mean, I started, I was here for the first one, and we had, like, maybe 20 kids come. And now, last year, I think we had almost 400 kids that came from all over the United States and Europe. And Europe. And Europe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Serve the City. What is Serve the City? Kind of an offshoot of Mission Peoria. We thought, this is awesome. How could we do this in one day? So uh, twice a year on a Saturday, uh, we work with 14 or so different sites, and uh, people come and meet at the Dream Center and then just go out and launch into the day and go to these sites and serve. And uh, it's just a great way to, I like to say, blow wind into the sails of other people who are doing good work, people who are you know, have claimed a home in an at-risk neighborhood and we come alongside and just help them with their garden or, or you know, inner city churches that without the help of another group would, wouldn't be able to do maintenance on their building or stay in that area. Um, we go to a lot of community parks, a lot of other nonprofits, and just for one day give them an extra uh, boost. 
So when you say serve um, in the city, like what kind of service? What are you talking about? A lot of hands-on service projects. I mean, it's painting, painting. it's cleaning up in the spring. Rebuilding a house. Rebuilding a house. It's, uh, it could be as simple as garbage pickup. It could be... Um, Oh, uh, an addiction recovery uh, a program just launched a new building this year, and so we were a massive part of uh, cleaning up and painting and building walls. And it was a very hands-on. Very hands-on, yeah. Wow. It's basically a question of what, what do you guys need help with? We, we want to help you. So it's really the difference between um, we've seen, I think we've all at some point in our lives seen service days that are very like, you know, kind of armchair quarterback type, you know. They go out and they – kind of breeze through and there's not much done but there's a lot of people walking around just telling everybody they love them but you guys are really hands-on like i mean you're showing the love but you're also like doing a lot to actually help alleviate problems within i mean if you're if you're living in a neighborhood where where uh the homes are you know running down falling apart need painting that again it's like the clothing store that's a big boost for morale of the neighborhood when homes are getting painted and streets are getting cleaned up that's a, that's a huge impact. I would and it's cool because we're seeing it in the neighborhood we mainly serve. It's the near North Valley here. Uh, the neighborhood is showing signs of turning around. And it's just been years, not just us, many others that have consistently been just sewing in. And, um, and, and we're seeing the results from it. I think that's great when you have a neighborhood here that's full of people. But you've got kids who are in a, in, a, in a situation where you were talking about on our tour, um, the kids wanted a safe space. You know, I mean, their, their own community doesn't feel safe, so they needed something within that. But if you're able to start working with that and, and having influence over turning around a neighborhood like that um, in a positive light for those kids, then they start to invest in it. I was going to say, it's amazing what happens when you do just introduce a little bit of light to a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, you, sure. Ken's probably seen a ton of this. I've seen it just in the last year with one home that we started partnering with, and, and it, she basically moved into a poor neighborhood by choice and said, I'm going to claim this. Um, and the home next to her burnt down because it was a drug house and, and, and it got wow. firebombed. So she bought the property, tore down the house, planted a community garden we go over the year and help them prepare it but it is a it's the center of life for the kids in the neighborhood they flock there every day so now this one little place where there's starting to be some light kids are flocking to it and uh and now uh a year of that and actually a, a new church just planted right across the street uh and they've got a gazebo that we've been looking at for a while and said how cool would it be to do a saturday vacation bible school we call it metro kids at that at that um, gazebo, and now a church just bought it, and uh, it is now a Metro Kid site. Uh, so light spreads, right? It doesn't take much. And mm -hmm. I, the coolest thing, one of the coolest things for me, um, is seeing how powerful it is to do all this stuff that we've been talking about uh, with young people. I wouldn't have placed a ton of value on that a year, a year ago, even six months ago. But to see what happens when you can. Uh, you know, introduce, uh, get, put young people in positions of leadership with this kind of service. Um, it breeds something, right? Yeah, well, you got Josh coming back. You got Caitlin coming back. And uh, I mean, over the years, you just see in the kids that come are a lot of them are repeat. I mean, they've been doing it for five, six years. 
because you, you it, pointed, it's impacted their life so much. You pointed someone out to us on Wednesday when we went to the church with you for the evenings, uh, for the, the youth stuff. You pointed out, uh, I think, at least two people that had come to Mission Peoria and they came back and never left. Um, right. Yeah, the, the gal that was, uh, was singing. Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. I mean, she, oh. she came one year just for Mission Peoria. And, you know, and she's, she's pretty much been here ever since. So it's very impactful. And that's, yeah. again, another program that you guys are part of. Yeah, we just met a, a, a person from a local church here. came in, and, and he's now a youth leader, but he cited he was coming to Mission Pure for 13 years. Uh, and um, he, that was his first experience with missions, and now he's, he heads up global missions for his church. And so, um, yeah, that's cool. Man, that's something. Yep. Um, Once you get involved in Mission Peoria, too, it's hard not to come back. Say that again? Once you do something for Mission Peoria as a volunteer, you want us to come back every year. I mean, I've been doing it now for, what, 13, 14 years. And I'm always worried about the day that I can't come back and do it anymore. Yeah. We never had to give them a raise, either. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so tell me, we talked about Promise of Hope a little bit. Promise of Hope, prom dresses for... 150 young women. Otherwise, wouldn't think about prom. Awesome example of it's not about the dress. It's not about prom. It's about the mindset. They, um, uh, there's a ton of volunteers, and uh, they're all kind of trained that, that you know they go around and help the young women pick out a dress that makes them look good, makes them feel good, the accessories that go with it. And then, you know, once the young woman is all set, they walk her down this red carpet into three mirrors that are up on a, a bit of an elevated platform. And when, when she looks at herself for the first time, everybody is trained to kind of stop what they're doing and just applaud on her, really going after that. You are worth more than your circumstances, right? You are a strong young woman, a valued person. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool one to be around that's awesome smiley receive uh you know similar idea during during christmas let's not just give a good meal but let's um uh let's take a photo of your family and give you something tangible to walk away with you know there's a lot of identity wrapped up in being able to show somebody here's who i am here's who my kids are when you're homeless yeah the family photo is the last thing on your mind so yeah. um yeah wow project 309 after school program that's that's kind of the name of it for the zip code here 309 uh, or area code um, 70 kids every day uh, really much of a family atmosphere and we saw that room that's there's kind of like a rec room area like yeah. uh, air hockey a couple pool tables yeah that's where the tables. that's where the career skills program is based out of there's an arts program called freedom arts uh, where there's dancing photography painting music instruments now they're redoing a an area to build a recording studio to kind of bring it all together so that kid awesome. can you know write his own song her song learn an instrument produce yeah beautiful we talked about the uh the mechanics uh program i do want to bring up uh ace teams because i think ace teams is interesting because ace teams as i looked into that and talked a little bit to caitlin who's doing that this year and i know josh did it last year um it's a great um it's a bit of a sacrifice on 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 the part of the person going into it. In my sense, I think about like I think about how comfortable I am at home, and you 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 give a year in in learning and growing, uh, in in your faith in service, 
Um, I, I, you, you move out of your own home, you move into an area they have for you here. Tell us about that. What, what's the, what's the goal there? And, and what's the, uh, what's the program like and what's the end goal? Yeah. As I'm talking, I'm looking at somebody who's been through it. So I'm looking for a nod to see if this is accurate, but, and first of all, there's, we have, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Get on over here, Josh, uh, is, um, we have a lot of, of our leadership here who have been through it. And so they've seen firsthand how it, it dramatically shaped their life. Just the idea that, you know, for a year, uh, I can kind of risk, take risks, maybe step into some of those desires that I have that um, the world wouldn't necessarily support. You know, the idea of, of serving and, and not going to college, but going into ministry. Uh, the world doesn't really promote that, right? That's kind of a risky move. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to have a place where I can, I can really step into that, see if, see how God moves, see uh, if it's what I think it's going to be, see if I'm good at it, see if what about it I like, to be able to do that for a year, uh, that's, that's powerful. It's important to have places to take risks like that. So from my perspective, I think that's probably one of the most valuable things. And then... Um, Man, you just get a variety of experiences. They, they, they spend the first four months or so here at the Dream Center and, and going through some uh, official certifications and well as just education. A lot of people uh, who are experienced in ministry come and teach. Uh, so four months of just prep and learning, and then they launch out. And every month they go to a different site throughout the country uh, designed to kind of give them a different experience. For one month they're focused on youth, maybe one church that's really good at at outreach or one church that is more evangelism driven, um, you know, different experiences. So they walk away finding out where they might fit in. And the end goal would be seeing them. I mean, is, is the goal to get them into ministry and, or just in service in general, just saying, listen, there's a world out there that's bigger than you. I think, I think the goal, I'm sure there's a one liner on what the goal is, but I think the one, I think the goal has got to be, um, to just uh, become bold in your faith, to find out, you know, what, what are you called to do and to start walking that. Nice. Um, this last year, that meant ministry for a lot of people. We had five students, five, and five of them are all doing ministry right now. I don't know if they'll do it tomorrow, but they're doing it right now, and they all seem um, like they're running fast ahead with that. So that's, that's, that's the goal. Beautiful. Let's... Um... Let's transition, and, and we'll, uh, I want to talk about the building here because normally our focus is a lot on the person we're talking to, and obviously you've got a passion for what you're doing. Uh, I know um, uh, it's Andy that, that is the, the executive director, yep, yep. and obviously he's got a passion for this because you know, he's doing it. There's a deep passion here, but I think the mission of, of the Dream Center is bigger than just one person, I think, because it has such a, a far-reaching impact. So. Tell us, there's a crazy story about getting this building. Because this building is phenomenal. It's how many? It's seven stories tall? Uh, yep, with eight, eight with the basement. Eight yep. with the basement. It's, uh, I think my research shows that it's 140,000 square feet. Yep. Okay, so I mean, it's a very Massive. large yep. building. Massive. And you're not even using every piece of it. Like you said, there's there's room for you guys to grow. And, and let's make note where we're, we're at here. We're at Peoria, and this is a 100,000-person city. It's okay. not, a, not a big city. Right. But it's a, it's a huge building yep. in, a, in a small city. Yeah. Um, 
but it was a huge impact. I, I think with it, probably an impact, and, and I'm not from here. I've only been here for a few days, but I would say, you know, in hearing everybody talk about it, it's a, probably an impact that reaches the full scope and breadth of the city. Yep, you bet. Um, so tell us about this building. How did how did you guys acquire this building, and, and what's the crazy story behind it? Yeah, I mean, the, the place started without one. Uh, we formed the Dream Center just because we had heart for people and wanted to start pressing into needs and it was kind of a neighborhood based program where we went every every Saturday volunteers Ken was one of them and um, just knocked on doors and asked how we can help every Saturday started realizing that hey if we're gonna get serious about this live out this heart that we have then we need something that the whole community can come and be part of because poverty is too big for just our church and our small group of people so that's when we started looking for a building and we had this model from LA that we liked a lot that, uh, that, that we wanted to bring here. Um, and so this YMCA building had been vacant for four years at that time. And it was uh, a couple blocks away from where our church that founded us uh, was uh, renting. Um, and so called the realtor up. We knew when it first came on the market, it was 4 million. We also knew at that time it had come down to 1.4 because it had been vacant for four years, which way more than a no-name nonprofit associated with a no-name church could afford. But um, called the realtor and just said, we're interested. And the realtor laughed. Um, he said, it's funny because no one's called on the property in nine months, but today you called and, and also Methodist Hospital, which is our second biggest hospital, massive, you know, billion dollar organization. Which is right across the right street. Right across the street. And so not good news, but we're like, okay, God might, is, is probably in this here. Uh, so we met with their board and, and our board met and we just put it in terms they might understand that we want to be this spiritual hospital for the poor and the broken. And they were very upfront and said they wanted to tear it down. And if you could look at our window, you'd see that, that um, the hospital dramatically changed in the last 10 years. They had some future plans to remodel. And uh, also a third of now their big parking lot came with our property with this YMCA. So we said, okay, well, we don't need the parking lot. You don't need the building. Uh, what would you, Methodist Hospital, pay for the parking lot? And they ended up paying $1.2 of the $1.4. So we bought the building for $200,000, 150,000 square feet. Um, we still didn't have that, <laughs> but raised it within two weekends from local churches, have put $3 million into it since, but never been to the bank, never been in debt. It has been just as people come alongside us, we're able to kind of step into the next need and, and continue to grow. That's amazing. Now, I have to imagine, and, and you told me you've been with the Dream Center for about a year and a half. Um, Ken, were you there for some of the door knocking? For the, the beginning, going around knocking on the doors, asking what the yeah, needs were? Yeah. You still, you still door knocking? I still do. So <laughs> how many, I mean, I can only imagine the looks you got early on, knocking on doors, new organization popping up, and the question being, what do you need? How can we help you? It is. I mean, it, it, I don't know how to say it. It puts them dumbfounded because they don't know how to respond to that. You know, but if you keep going back and going back, they realize that you're not going to go anywhere and you're going to keep coming back. You're committed. So now, yeah, we're committed to it. And we get the, eventually they become committed to it. Wow. All right. So last question for you, Brian, is what's the plan from here? I know that you grow, that the Dream Center grows based on the needs of the community, that you guys don't just put a program together and go, let's find some people to fill the program. 
But what's coming next? What's the next step for the Dream Center? Yeah, I mean, we're constantly, you know, finding new needs, dropping needs. The smile you receive is a good example of something we don't do anymore. Uh, we found that the need is is uh, being met in other ways. And so um, right now, as we look ahead, um, we uh, stepped into our shelter became 24-7 last year. So it's been a year of doing that. And, and as we've gotten closer to that need, we're finding there's some other things that we need to step into. So I think um, creating more space so that we can do more uh, mentoring, more education classes so that we can have a full kitchen where uh, uh, we can teach the women to cook and actually prepare food for themselves. Um, that could be a next need. Um, and we've got the fourth floor that's totally vacant, so we're, we're starting to assess that. Uh, another thing I would say that is on Andy's mind quite a bit right now is just what to do with mental health. That if you look around the country, there isn't uh, really a strong, clear leader in, in Christian mental health um, attacking the, the really strong stuff, right? Mm. Um, um, so I don't think we have any answers on that, but uh, we're definitely exploring it. And as you move forward, uh, where can people find information about the Dream Center? If people listening to this podcast, if people who see the YouTube video that we're going to produce for this, they see within their own uh, mind that they want to do something to contribute in some way, how do they find you guys? Yeah, I mean, dreamcenterpeoria.org is the website. And uh, good videos, check out the different programs. Uh, if you want to volunteer, you know, click Get Involved. Um, if, if you want to do something in your own community, um, I would say act, act kind of quick. Go with what, what is on your heart. If there's a person that stands out with you, to you, get close to them. Uh, you know, you don't have to have a plan. Um, it can start with just uh, having coffee once a week. Uh, it can start with uh, driving a widow to church with you who couldn't get to church. Um, it could start by seeing that person on the corner and inviting them out to lunch once a week, walking down the street with them and going and getting the subway. And as you do that, as Ken said, week after week, the first time you're, you might not get a strong response and you might not feel like, oh, I just made a difference. You know, this person's life is turning around because of my one hour. But man, you do that for three, four weeks, and I guarantee you, you're going to see something. You're going to either start to feel a calling in your life of, of this, this could be for me, uh, or you're going to start to see some movement in their life. You'll, something will start to emerge. So just step out and start loving on somebody the way you would want to be loved yourself. Um, there, are also, there are other dream centers throughout the country. Some will look different than ours, but you could look locally to see if you have a local dream center. Awesome, and it started in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yep. The thing is, too, once you get committed, because the people that you work with and the kids that you work with, they know as soon as you talk to them the first time that you ain't coming back. And that's why you have to go back week after week after week. And then when they see that you were actually committed to it, then they open up to you, and then they start talking to you, and that's when you really change their life. So, Ken, real quick then, because you... You'd You've been doing this. You've been helping out here for years. How 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 big is that impact of you being here 13 years later, seeing those who were 8, 9, 10, or 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old coming in then to seeing them now? 
It's huge because kids that were doing this when I first started were just little kids, and now they're leaders of groups for Mission Peoria. I mean, they come in and lead a group of kids through Mission Peoria for the week. And these kids were the kids we mentored to when we started Mission Peoria. Well, in a way, they were the customers before, and, and now they're, they're serving. Right. That's amazing. Well, fantastic. Well, Ken, I appreciate you bringing me here and showing me this and getting this set up for us. And Brian, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to sit down, to walk around with us, and then to sit down and talk with us about this. Uh, like I said, normally our podcast is very much about the person living their passion, but uh, this is this to me was such a big thing. Uh, and I had heard about it for so many years, that getting to come here and see, um, I mean, I didn't even get to, to talk with or meet with any of the people that are being served by the organization, but you can see through the the way it's set up and those who are working here and helping out here, the impact is huge. And um, even seeing Josh over here, who I've known since he was, you know, half his height, um, seeing him grow through ACE teams and, and um, knowing uh, how he was when he worked for me a couple of years ago and, and seeing him now and leading you know, leading the, the, the junior high group on Wednesday night, that was, that was huge. That was, that was great. I mean, not that Josh was some, you know, big problem back then, but you know, he was Josh. So. No, glad you, glad you made it through. Well, thank glad you. you for, see it. Yeah. Thank you for, for taking us around. So awesome. Well, you've been listening to the 18 summers, live your passion podcast. And if you want to know more about the dream center, Peoria or any of the dream centers, but you can start with dream center, Peoria, cause that's where we are. And, uh, go to their website, dreamcenterpeoria.org. Um, Look at the videos, uh, find them on Facebook and share their story. Share this story with other people and share their story with other people because ultimately the, the goal of this podcast is to share passion with people and to, to let people understand that whatever your passion is, whatever it is that you are wanting to do, the only thing holding you back from doing it is yourself. So if you want to make an impact, if you've got a passion to do something like this or any passion that you want to pursue, step out and do it. Um, this would be a great place to start if you're looking to serve and you're in this area. And if you're not in this area, finding a dream center or another organization that impacts the community, step out, call them, get a hold of them, find a way to, to help out, see what their needs are and how can you fill it. So thank you guys. And we will catch you next time on the 18 summers, live your passion podcast. Thank you for joining us for the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, we definitely encourage you to come back for another one. Share with your friends our podcast. Help them to live their passion. And most importantly, stay in contact with us. Reach out to us. Use our website, www.gonein18.com. That's G-O-N-E-I-N-1-8.com. There's a contact form on there. You can send us questions that you might have or comments about the show. And you know what? You can also find all of our social media links there. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. They're all there for you to find. We hope you enjoy it. Check out the blog too while you're there. Why not? Hey, we'll see you next time.